First of all, I'm very thankful to Pastor Peterson for giving me the opportunity to preach tonight. Uh, and I also want you to know that uh, I pray for Land Lakes, uh, First Baptist Church of Land Lakes, upon every remem- remembrance of you. Uh, I established some great relationships, friendships, uh, great brothers and sisters in Christ on that mission trip to Trinidad, and I'll never, ever forget you. And I, I lift you up in prayer, like I said, upon every remembrance of you. Uh, by the way, you forgot to mention uh, <clears throat> the def- two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs, by the way, you people of Florida. You might can learn a lesson or two from us from there. Let's go to Lord in prayer before, before we start, because Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. Without him, we can do nothing. Father in heaven, this is by your grace, to your praise, and for your glory. Father, I pray that your word will hit its mark, that your Holy Spirit will do the work, and to the intent that we will be hearers and doers of the word. And if someone is struggling, going through a trial tonight, Father, let this minister to them and give them great hope and encouragement tonight. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I titled this message, Trials, God's Blessings with Benefits. Trials, God's Blessings with Benefits. Life is filled with trials, isn't it? Life is filled with trials. But you know, I wouldn't trade the trail of trials that God has led me down for anything in the world. It is important that we see trials in the light of Scripture. That we view trials through the lens of God's Word. Because if we do not, we contend to see trials as curses from God instead of blessings. We can tend to see them as detriments to our faith instead of benefits to our faith. We can see them as a travesty instead of a great treasure, or we can see them as tragedies instead of an opportunity for great triumph. Amen? Trials are either caused or allowed by God in our lives for our good. Always remember that. Trials have God's fingerprint and, handy, and His handiwork all over them. Don't miss that. God uses trials for a multitude of reasons. One of them is to profit us. Trials are to profit us. And they are to perfect us. And they are to produce in us a precious Precious product. Don't forget that. Trials, therefore, are meant to be received, not rejected. Received, not rejected. Because trials, they can do one of two things for you. They can make you a bitter heel and a bitter peel. Or they can make you better. Bitter or better. They can make you, uh, they can draw you far away from God, or they can draw you very close to God. It's your choice. It's how you handle them. And they can make you a straw man, or they can make you a strong man. It all depends on how you handle them. So we need to see, uh, have a good understanding of trials. We need to have a good working knowledge of trials. 
uh, we need to uh, receive them with the intent of having a proper attitude, a proper attitude, and with the intent of them producing the product for which they were designed for their purpose. That's very important. So turning your Bibles with me. Don't turn your Bibles into me. Keep your Bibles. Turn to the pages of your Bible. I want you to keep your Bible. To 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 6. It says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Let's stop right there. What is Peter talking about? What is the wherein? Wherein do we greatly rejoice? Well, he gives the answer. Look at verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. This, this hope comes from the Greek word elpis. It doesn't mean uh, wishful thinking, like I hope it's going to rain today. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. It's a joyful, confident anticipation. So we have a lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why we, wherein we greatly rejoice, because we have a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Here's another reason wherein we greatly rejoice. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I greatly rejoice because I have a home in heaven reserved for me. And here's the third reason he says we greatly rejoice. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I am not keeping my salvation. God is keeping my salvation. It's by his power that my salvation is kept. So we can greatly rejoice in that. Amen? So we see wherein ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So he told us wherein we greatly rejoice, in a lively hope, in a, a home in heaven reserved for us, and we have a salvation that's kept by the power of God. But look at these next two words in verse 6. He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now. See, heaven is there and then. There and then. We're not in the there and then yet, practically speaking. Positionally we are. Our citizenship is in heaven. Positionally, God already sees us there. But practically, we're right in the here and the now. We're not there in the there and then. We're in the here and now. So while we're in the here and now, waiting till we get to the there and then, guess what? You are going to face trials. Which brings me to point number one. If you're a note taker, I hope you are. Point number one, trials are commonplace among believers. They are inevitable. You need to prepare to cross their paths. 
prepare for trials. Every believer goes through them. Have you ever said, nobody knows what I'm going through? Nobody faces the trials that I face. Yes, they do. They're commonplace to every believer. So don't think trials are something strange. Hold your place here and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He says, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. That word strange actually means some alien thing. Most of the time we think trials are abnormal. They're alien. They're foreign. We don't need to think of trials that way. Trials are not strange. They're very normal for a believer. And they're very precious and profitable for a believer. But we don't need to look at them as some strange thing has happened unto us. Because they're commonplace to every believer. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and look at verse 9. We'll look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, sinking whom he may devour. Whom resist, steadfast in the faith, knowing, knowing. In other words, not being uncertain about this, knowing. This is talking about certainty. Knowing that the same, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The devil isn't just trying to devour you as a believer. He can't steal our salvation, amen? But he he can sure shipwreck your life. But Satan tries to devour all of us, right? We have that same affliction. And we'll go through the same trials. There, there may be a different trial. Brother Troy may be going through a trial now, and uh, Brother Rick may be going through a separate, a different kind of trial. But there's still trials. We go, go through the same affliction. So don't think it's strange that like you're the only one. God, I'm the only one that faces trials. No, you're not. Every believer does. You know, before God can ever greatly use a man... Before God can ever greatly use a man of God, he must first test them. Think about it. Think about Joseph. Joseph was thrown into a pit, and then he was made a peasant, and then he was thrown into prison for no wrongdoing of his own before he ever went to the palace. God tested Job. Before you can ever greatly be used by God, God must first test the man. So don't look at them as strange. What about Gideon? Remember Gideon? God told, first thing God told Gideon to do was go throw down the altar of Baal of his father. Y'all, that was a test. That was a test. But Gideon did it, didn't he? And look how greatly God used Gideon. But it was after he was tested. So allow God to use trials to test your faith. We need them. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Point number two, trials are many and multi-layered. Trials are many 
and multi-layered. Look what he says. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold, through manifold temptations. Manifolds means many temptations. So you're going to face, and that word temptations right there is another word for trials. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. And there's going to be many trials you're going to face in the race of the Christian life. From the moment you trust Christ till the time you either one or two things, die or go up in the rapture, you're going to face many trials. Hold your place here and look at Psalm 34, 19. Psalm 34 and verse 19. The psalmist David, he said these words. Many, many. He didn't say not any. He said many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Remember that word affliction. Remember that word afflictions. Now go in your Bibles to Acts 14.22. Acts 14.22. Look what Paul said about the trials we we will face. Acts 14 and verse 22. Look at verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. By the way, cities that they had went through a lot of trouble. Would you go back to the same cities that you just had a lot of trouble in, trials in? You'd probably say no, but they did. They did. And it says, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we, and that we must through no tribulation, that we, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. That's not the seven-year tribulation after the rapture. We're saved from that wrath to come. Amen? He's talking about the tribulations, that, the troubles that we go through in everyday life. So he said, you're going to go through much tribulation. Remember that word, tribulation. So trials are many and multi-layered. Well, how are they multi-layered? Well, he just named two different kinds of trials. And I told you to remember them. Do you know what they are? Afflictions. Afflictions. Afflictions are adversities, calamities, distresses. He said, many are the afflictions, the distresses, the calamities, the adverse adversities. Can you strangle it? Can you, can you say, yeah, I know that very well. If you're a preacher of the gospel, if you tell people that you're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing else, it's not of works, that it's the gift of God, you've got a target on your back. You're going to go through a lot of afflictions and trouble for it. I know what I'm talking about. So he said uh, you go through afflictions. Paul, Paul named another type of trial. What did he call it? tribulations. The Bible mentions storms. In Psalms 107, uh, 107, it says the, the, the shipmen go down into the stormy seas. Storms. You're going to face persecutions. You're going you're to have to climb some mountains and go down some valleys. You're going to have to go through the desert sometime where it's dry. There's, life is full of many trials and they're multi-layered. And God knows exactly which trial, exactly which layer that we need to go through. 
So that's point number two. Point number three, trials are heavy. Trials are heavy. Look at it with me, 1 Peter 1, 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Trials are heavy. He said, Peter named it. He called it what they were. They're, he- they're not easy. Trials don't live on easy, breezy, peasy street. They're hard. They're rough. They're tough. Otherwise, why would God call them trials, right? Why would he call them trials if they're easy? They're called trials for a reason. They try our faith. And they're tough. They're hard. They're rough. Because they pack pressure. They pack a lot of pressure. They pack a lot of heat. Because, look, easy won't get the job done, y'all. Easy won't test our faith. Comfortable doesn't test anyone's faith. It takes heavy. It takes hard. It takes a trial. It takes pressure. And you're going to see about that, how it takes heat to refine gold in just a moment. So I got a question for you. How can you ever know how strong your faith is if it's always easy? If everything's always easy. How would you ever know how strong your faith is? How will you ever know how strong your faith is unless it's pressurized? You know when a plumber plums in a house, a building, the, the, the very last thing he does when he plums in that plumb line is he pressurizes the line. Well, why would he do that? Why would he pressurize the line? Because the pressure reveals cracks. The pressure reveals leaks. That's what heavy does. It lets you know just how strong or weak your faith is. Does it have cracks in it? Will you quit? Test, will we bend? Will we break? Will we quit? Does, do you have cracks? Pressure. Pressure. They say to know if a ship is sailworthy, it has to have been through a storm. It has to have been through a storm. Yet many are the believers who let the trial sink their ship. Trials that reveal weaknesses in our faith, cracks in our faith. So let it do that. That's why it has to be heavy. It has to pack heat. It has to pack pressure. Or otherwise, you'd never know how strong your faith is. I do not want to go through my whole entire Christian life not knowing how strong a faith I have or lack thereof. And God doesn't want us to know that, doesn't want us to go through life like that either. See, God already knows. He already knows how strong your faith and mine is. He knows. That ain't the question. That isn't the question. He wants you to know how strong your faith is. He wants me to know how strong or weak my faith is. And how are we going to ever know that without trials? God can never, ever, never, ever show you how weak or strong your faith is without it being pressurized. Can't ever do it. Can't ever do it. Point number four. Point number four. Trials are seasonal. Trials are seasonal. Hey, though they are heavy, I am so thankful 
They are seasonal. Y'all, I live in Georgia. That's God's country, by the way, if you want to ever come visit it. We, we just, a few weeks ago, we had a winter, we had a, a winter storm hit. And it got down to 9 degrees. And the wind got up to 25 to 30 miles an hour. I was trying to help uh, uh, my pastor's little girl's, uh, his daughter, sell some puppies on that day when it was very cold. and We couldn't do it. We couldn't. The puppies were yelping, and I was too. I, I couldn't handle it. It's bitter. But you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful the Georgia winter only lasts for a season. It only lasts a little while. See, that's what trials do. They come, and then they go. And they return again, but then they go. Georgia winter, here's what I'm thankful for. We got a beautiful spring coming after the winter. And then we got a wonderful summer. The hotter, the better. I hate cold. I can't handle The older I get, the less I like it. But I, the hotter, the better. We got a beautiful spring, a beautiful summer, and a beautiful fall before the bitter winter ever rolls back around again. You know, God does trials that way. Isn't he wonderful? I'm glad life isn't just one big, long, unending trial. I'm glad it's seasonal, has seasonal trials. You ought to thank God for that. You really ought to thank God for that. God knows how to mix them in. If I, if I had time, I know Brother Troy would love this, Pastor Troy, that song, Day by Day. What a song. What a song. He knows how to mix in pain with pleasure and toil with peace and rest. He knows how to mix it in so perfectly, so seasonally. It's awesome. Point number five. Point number five. Trials are meant to go through. Trials are meant to go through. Look at what he says, 1 Peter 1, 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through, through manifold temptations. Let me ask you something. How can you ever know God can bring you through a storm until you first allow him to get you into a storm? You never can know that God can get you out of something until you allow God to get you into something. See, trials are nothing more than problems, y'all. Nothing more than problems. Nothing more than uh, a problem to test our faith, to see if we'll trust him enough. If he, can, if he can get us into it, I guarantee you he can get us through it, can't he? But will we trust him enough? Will we trust him enough to allow a trial to come into our life, either caused or allowed? Will we trust him enough to get it, uh, for him to get us through it? That's the key. If God brings you to it, I guarantee you he'll bring you through it. But first he's got to get you into it before he can get you out of it. Trials are meant, designed to go through. And, and one thing, you know, so often faith is born in despair. Faith is born in despair. You know, you'll never measure up to the, 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 the measure. You'll never measure, be the measure of the man that you ought to be and have the measure of faith that you ought to have unless God walks you through trials. Without trials, you'll never measure up to the measure of man and the measure of faith that you should have without trials. So I hope you get this across tonight. Trials are treasures. 
there really are. Let's see. Point number six. Point number six. Trials are needful. Trials are needful. You say, I don't need a trial. You don't know that. But God sure does, doesn't he? He knows what we need far better, far greater, far more than we ever know what we need. He, he knows we need trials. It's, why do we need trials? Because look what he says. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be. If need be. God knows whether we need a trial or not. So if you're going through a trial, more times than not, it's because God knew you needed it. He knew you needed it. Well, why do we need trials? Well, for a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. Uh, number one, it keeps us growing. It keeps us growing. Hold your place here and look in 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. That word perfect doesn't mean sinless. It means spiritually mature. Make you spiritually mature. How many of you would, would raise your hand and say, I want to be spiritually mature? Well, did you forget the other part? After ye have suffered a while. Is suffering a trial? You, you better know it is. It's a trial. So you're going to have to go through suffering to get to be spiritually mature, according to what Peter said. He said, after that you have suffered a while, I'll make you perfect. That means spiritually mature. Establish. That means built up. Built up in God's word and in the faith. Strengthen. Strengthen. Do you want to be a strong man or do you want to be a strong man? Do you want to be weak in your faith or do you want to be, have a strong faith? How many times did he tell disciples, oh, ye of little faith. But wasn't there people like the centurion that says, I've, I haven't seen such great faith. No, not in Israel. Well, which one do you want to be? Well, you're going to have to go through the trial of suffering to find out. He said it will strengthen you. Y'all, I'm a much stronger person today because of the trials that I've been through. I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. And then he says, settle you. Don't you want to be a, an anchored individual, solid, sound in your faith? I do. I don't want to be a straw man. I remember going through a trial uh, uh, several weeks ago. I, I was going through a trial and I handled it real well. But then I had another trial after that and I didn't handle it so well. And I woke up 3 o'clock in the morning and I told the Lord these, those, that, those two little phrases, straw man, strong man. And I was crying I was like, Lord, I don't want to be a straw man. I don't want my faith to be weak. I want to have a strong faith. I don't want to crumble. I don't want to uh, uh, become unglued when I go through trials. Because I'll miss. I'll miss the prophet. And I'll miss the purpose for which you intended to bring them my way. I don't want to be that way. So trials come for a lot of reasons. They come to keep us uh, growing. They come to... Uh, they keep us dependent on God. Dependent on God. Look at this verse really quickly. Dependent on God. Psalm 119, 67. Psalm 119, 67. Do you find sometimes in your walk with God you're less dependent on God? Do you sometimes 
need something to reel you in, to show you your desperate, your desperate dependency on God? I do. Sometimes we are so, as the, the writer of, uh, let's see, Come Thou Fount. Y'all know that song? He's in one, one song, a line in that song says, prone to wonder, prone, that's W-A-N-D-E-R, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. We're so, we're so apt to drift from God's word. We're so apt to drift from God. We're so apt to drift from prayer. We need something to reel us back in. There's nothing that will reel you in better than a trial if you properly receive it. What did I say? Psalm 119.67. David said, before I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, but now, have I kept thy word. Look at verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. So now... So now, he says, I'm keeping your word. So we need, we need trials, we need afflictions to keep us close to God, to keep us close to his word, and to keep us dependent on the Lord in prayer. How many times did David say, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. And most often when he was crying, it was because of some trial he was going through. Right? True? So we need trials. Here's another one real quickly. Trials work a precious product in us. Trials, go to James. Go to James. James in chapter 1. James chapter 1. Look at verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So trials are, are, are to work a precious product in us. Patience. What is patience? It comes from the Greek word hupomone. It means, it means saddle. Saddle. So what do you mean by that? Back in days of antiquity, when the king had a very important message to send out. And it was important that it got from the king to the intended target. It was a matter of life or death to a lot of people, that that message got to its intended target. Well, would you want to send a messenger on a horse that when, when, the, when he ran through a, a storm, that he would get out of the saddle and quit? No, you want that messenger to have what? Saddle. You want him to stay in the saddle. Don't quit. Don't become unglued just because you run into a storm. Or what if there's robbers and thieves in the way? Is he going to come out of his saddle? just because he's suffering resistance or opposition? No, you want a messenger who stays in the saddle, even though he's facing hardship, trial. Y'all, we don't have enough believers that have saddle today. They want to quit, give up, throw in the towel, whine. Let me tell you something. Instead of asking, here's, here's a, a, a poor question to ask when you're going through trials. When you're going through trials, don't ask God why. Why God me? Why God now? Why God this? You know, if you start saying why long enough, it sounds like wah, wah, wah. Instead, ask God, what are you trying to teach me? I dare you, I challenge you. Instead of asking why when you go through a trial, say, God, what are you trying to teach me? He might be trying to teach you some patience, to teach you not to be a quitter, to have stick to 
stick to itiveness, to see the, the Christian race to its end. Don't be a quitter. It's one thing to start a race well, but it's another one, quite another, to finish it well. I want to be, regardless of how I started, I want to finish that race well. But you better stay in the saddle. You've got to have patience to do that. That's the purpose of the trial. A purpose of the trial. I've got to hurry. I'm running out of time. Here's point number seven. I want to give you those. If, if I only have to say them, I want to give them to you. So maybe you can do some study on your own. Number seven, trials are for the purpose of refining, purifying our faith. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. He says in verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. So trials are for the purpose of refining, purifying our faith. And he gives a great analogy, a great, wonderful analogy that we'd all understand. Gold. Gold when it's refined. I watched, I've watched this show. I don't know what it's called. It's, it's in, about in Australia, uh, in the outback. They'll go uh, digging for gold. And they'll have these metal detectors. And they're, they're, they're basing their whole hope on finding that one big nugget of gold. And I've seen them find a nugget of gold, and, and one of the first things they want to do, you know what they want to do? They want to go get it refined. But it takes heat to refine it. It takes heat. Remember the heat? Remember the pressure? Remember the heavy? It takes heat. Why do they do that? Why do they put it under heat? Because it has impurities in it. It may have different other foreign uh, non-valuable metals in it. And so to, it has to go through the heat to get all those impurities out, the, what's of not, not of, what is of non-value. They, they want to know, is this gold nugget substantive? Does it have substance to it? Does it have value to it? But the only way they can really know the true value of it is if the heat is put to it. It has to go through the fire. And when it goes, that gold nugget goes through the fire, all that's left, the dross has been removed, the impurities have been removed, and now all you've got is purest, finest gold. Isn't that what you want? Well, our, he said our faith is like that. Our faith is like God wants our faith to be genuine. He don't want us to have a shallow faith, a weak faith, a faith that crumbles under the least pressure, a faith that doesn't have saddle or stick to itiveness. He wants our faith to be genuine. He wants us to learn to live and walk. By faith, not by sight. So he's got to get out the impurities in your faith. You say, what, what would that be? Does your faith have attached to it bitterness? Does your faith have attached to it envy? What about pride? Impurities. God knows how genuine your faith is. And he's going to put it through his fire. He's going to try your faith. To see if you have a genuine faith. I want a genuine faith. But he's going to have to go take me through the fiery trial to do it. And it's worth it. It's worth it. It is so worth it. Because instead of bitterness and envy and hatred and pride. And the list goes on and on. Instead he can through that uh, removing of that dross and impurities. 
He can make you a very gentle person. A very thankful person. A very kind person. Genuineness of your faith. Here's point number eight. Trials that refine are precious and have a greater benefit to you than finding pure gold. See what he says? That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that what? Gold that what? Perishes. See, gold will perish. Gold is perishable. Your faith, though, is non-perishable. It will stand the test of time and eternity. It has much more value than of gold. Look, a faith that is growing and maturing, being perfected, 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 established, strengthened, settled. Hey, y'all, that's far more valuable than any gold you could ever give me. Because that gold will perish, but my maturing faith won't. God will bless me now, reward me later for it. You can't put a price tag on it. So, it's more precious than finding gold. Number nine, trials. Well, this is part of, let's just leave this as part of number eight. Trials will bring Jesus praise and honor and glory at his appearing. Look what it says. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be founded to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Well, how will we be able to give Jesus glory and honor and praise at his appearing? Through our trial. How? Well, Jesus went through the greatest trial of his life on the cross of Calvary. And his father brought him to it, and his father brought him through it. By his resurrection power. Remember in verse 3, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? The father's resurrection power. Y'all look, the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, that brought him through the greatest trial of his life, is the same resurrection power that you and I have living inside of us to bring us through our trials. And one day, I'm going to look at my Savior and say, thank you for your resurrection power that was, not, that was able not only to get me to the storm, but through it. I'm going to give him praise and honor and glory for the trials he brought me through. Guaranteed. I want to do that. I hope you will too. Here's number nine. Trials increase our love for him. Look at verse eight. Whom having not seen, ye love. Hey, how, how do you know how much you love the Lord? Do you have a little thing like, I planted some blueberry bushes. I didn't know blueberry bushes were so temperamental. They have to have the right pH. So I had to go get a pH meter and measure the pH of the soil. Do you have a meter to measure how much you love the Lord? Well, God does. Trials. Trials will prove the sincerity of your love. How much you love Him? How are you going to know? How are you going to be able to answer that? How much you love the Lord? Oh, we're quick to say, Oh, I love Jesus. Trial will let you know just how genuine that is. Trial will let you know on the meter scale... Uh, you say you love Jesus a whole lot, but I don't know. Trials will let you know. I want to know. I want to know if I really love Him. I don't want a phony faith. I don't want an impure faith. I'm not talking about faith how to get to heaven. That's secure. 
Jesus died one time. I believe in him one time. I get eternal life. And it lasts forever. I'm talking about, I'm talking about faith that gets you through life's trials. I want to have a pure faith that a stand against the storms of life. And I want to know that I love him. And he wants you to know how much you love him. So he says, whom having not seen, you love. See, trials can either deepen and strengthen and heighten your love for the Lord, or it can weaken and decrease your love for the Lord. It's your choice. So when a trial comes, you can reject it. But your love is not going to be very much for him, is it? But you receive that trial and you let him walk through, I guarantee you, it will increase and deepen your love for him. It's awesome. Here's number 10. An attitude of joy is the proper response. He says in verse 8, Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with what? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Remember what James said? James says, uh, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, trials. So does the joy come from the trial? The joy doesn't come from the trial. The joy comes from knowing what the trial produces. Joy comes from knowing that God is going to use that trial in my life to make me better, to produce something good into me, to make something precious, more precious than gold, a genuine faith. That's where the joy comes from. I don't get joy from the trial. And none of you, if you're honest, will say you do either. But we get joy from what the trial produces. Is that good? He says, Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye re- re- rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I hope that blessed you tonight. Went a little bit long. I hope Pastor Peterson don't get on to me for it. But let me ask you something. How, how, often did, how often did I hear this preaching and teaching about trials when I was a young believer? I'll tell you how often I heard it. I had to go through the, the trail of trials, through the trail of trials the, the hard way. I learned it on my own. Far before anybody ever taught me. God's the best teacher anyway. Amen. But believers need to be taught this. Don't you get out of the saddle. You have stick to when things get hard. And let God have a proper attitude when you're going through trials. And let them produce in you that purpose for which God designed it. Let it do that. Don't be just a hearer of the word. Be a doer of it. I want to show you this before I close. For 30 years of my life, I did not know how to go to heaven. I was told it was by keeping this long list of do's and don'ts. You've got to be good. You've got to keep the Ten Commandments. You've got to uh, live right. You've got to stop all your sin. You've got to pray every day. And the list went on and on and on. And so I was one confused young man of what it took to go to heaven. But one day I met a man that told me it only took one thing to go to heaven. I'd never heard that before. One thing that anybody in the whole world could do. And I did that one thing when I was 30 years old. And ever since then, I know I have eternal life. I want to show you what that one thing is. I'm going to let that hand represent you and me. 
and everybody in this building right now. That's us. I'm going to let that wallet represent sin. Us, sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that means we've all done wrong. You agree? So we're all sinners. Now, God loves sinners. He loves you, friend, even though we're a sinner. He hates our sin, though. Now, I'm going to let that hand represent God. God's a lot different than me and you. He's perfect. He's holy. He doesn't have any sin. The problem isn't with God. The problem's with me and you. We got the sin. And the problem is, your ugly sin and my ugly sin separates us from a holy God. No matter how hard we try, we cannot get to a, to a holy God who loves us. See, the barrier needs to be removed so we can get to God, connected to Him, but the problem is the barrier's there. And you and me, we're not strong enough, we ain't got stuff enough, we ain't big enough to move that sin on our own. We cannot do it. And because we're separated from our sin, we owe God a, a price tag for that sin. And there's only one price tag for sin. You go in Walmart, there's a bunch of price tags. But for our sin, there's only one price tag. It's death. The Bible says the wages price tag for sin is death. So the only thing that will pay for your sin and my sin is a death payment. Nothing else will pay for it. It takes death. Only death. Always death. Nothing but death. And that means we deserve to be separated from God forever in an eternal lake of fire. But God loves us. He doesn't want anybody to go to that lake of fire. He wants us to go to his perfect heaven. But to go to his perfect heaven, we have to be perfect. Being good won't get you in. You have to be perfect. Heaven's perfect. God is perfect. There's no sin in heaven. So for us to get there, we have to be perfect too. But the real big problem is we got sin. We can't get in. You see how it always comes back to our sin? We're separated by our sin. We owe a death price tab because of our sin, and we can't get in God's perfect heaven because of sin. And a lot of people think, well, if I just do a whole bunch of good deeds, works, then that'll pay for my sin. If I go to church and I read my Bible and I change my life, and all those are good things. But the Bible says they're dead works if you're trying to trust in that to get you to heaven because it's not death. The price tag for sin is not going to church. It's not changing your life. It's not stopping something, starting something, joining something, turning for something, giving something. It's Death, that's the price tag for sin. So all the good things you ever do will never pay for even one sin. Because the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's free. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Let this hand represent Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. I'm not here to try to save anybody today. I can't. I'm a sinner just like you, but I sure know the, the Savior who saved me. He can save you too. Jesus is the Savior, and this is what he did. He came down from his perfect heaven. He didn't have to. He could have stayed up in heaven and let us get what we deserve, that lake of fire. But he came down. He didn't have any sin. He didn't have to die. We had the sin. But Jesus took all your sin and all my sin off of us, onto himself, and died on the cross for you and me. Friend, he'd rather die than live without you in heaven. And that's exactly what he did. The payment was death. He paid the payment. And all your sin got paid, mine too. And he was buried, and he went back to heaven. He's in heaven today. Now going to heaven's a free gift of his grace. It's free. You don't have to pay a thing. Why? Because he already paid it all. He paid it. Jesus paid it all. So I don't have any left to pay. And he said, if you'll do one thing, just one thing, because it's all you can do, look, you don't have anything else. If you'll believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins. If you'll trust him, the moment you believe in Christ, that one-time belief, God will give you the free gift of everlasting life. 
Now you are connected with God forever. And eternal life, he wasn't confused about the wordage or the definition. Eternal means forever. That means you can't lose it. Where'd the barrier go that separates us? God says he removes it as far as the east is from the west. Y'all, that's far. You can go far east as you want to go, and you'll never go west. You'll go far as west as you want to go, you'll never go east. The barrier's been removed. Now, is there anything that keep you or me out of God's perfect heaven? Is there? Not if you believe in Christ, you've got everlasting life. For God so loved you and me, the world, sinners, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, any sinner in the world, will do one thing, believe in him, in Christ. You won't perish, you won't ever go to hell, but you'll have everlasting life. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. In a crowd this size, it could be that someone here may may have never trusted Christ. Would you do that? It's the most important decision of your whole life. My friend, if you don't have, if you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior, you don't have anybody to walk you through that trial. You don't have anybody. You need a Savior to walk you through that trial. Would you trust Jesus as your Savior so you can string along with me and say, Hey, Pastor John, you're not the only one who knows he's going to heaven. I know 100% too sure. I'm 100% sure too that I'm going to heaven because I did the one thing God said. I put my faith in Christ. Will you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior right now? You don't have to move a muscle. I ain't asking you to come forward. I'm not asking you to stop anything, start anything, join anything, turn from anything, or give anything because none of that will save you into eternal life. Will you trust Christ right in the quietness of your own mind? Will you trust him? If you've just done that, you've never done it before, would you do me a favor? I'd love to know. This would make my night. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Hey, Pastor John, I got that. That's the offer I can't refuse. I'd, I'd be a fool to turn down a free gift like that. Anybody at all? Would you let me know? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach from your precious word. Thank you so much for dying a, uh, for, uh, for us on the cross. That you, Jesus, you paid it all. Thank you that eternal life is a free gift. And Father, I pray that your word hit its mark today uh, for believers especially that we face trials. And Father, I thank you. You gave us such precious scripture to see how the proper attitude we should have and that we should look at trials in the proper light of your word so we can see what are you trying to teach me instead of asking why all the time. What are you trying to teach me? What purpose are you trying to, to work in me? Are you trying to build patience? Are you trying to grow my faith? Are you trying to have a, a purify my faith and so it can be genuine? What are you trying to are you trying to increase my love for you? God, there's so much that trials do. Please help us not to reject them. Please help them to receive them as the, the treasures and benefits that they are from your hand. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.